welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is sponsored by our partners at CleverTap Gaming. CleverTap Gaming is the all-in-one platform that enables game studios and publishers to create personalized player experiences. It's the only solution that provides a real-time understanding of player actions and integrates lifecycle marketing, live ops, and remote configuration into a holistic experience. In other words, you can maximize engagement, retention, and monetization through real-time segmentation and targeted offers, and you can run live ops campaigns with A-B testing, push notifications, in-app messaging, and much more. To discover how CleverTap Gaming can best serve your games team, simply visit clevertap.com gaming or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Navic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ovori. We have a great episode for you today. Uh, it is no secret that Web3 Gaming had a bit of a down year in 2023. Many studios had to shut down, and venture funding was very hard to come by. But where some see a valley of despair, others see opportunity. Our guest today falls in the latter category, the optimistic opportunist. Our guest is Steve Wade. He is the founder and CEO of Midnight, which is scooping up talented Web3 studios that have run out of funding in order to go after multiple opportunities at the same time with AA games, which we'll talk about later as well as building what they call a deconstructed MMO called Evergreen, which is intended to house a whole variety of game activities and gameplay types across a portfolio of games within the MMO itself, from fashion games, casino nights, sports games. That's obviously a lot to take on. And so Steve is here, and he's going to help unpack what his ambitious vision means in real life. Steve, welcome to the pod. Ah, uh, fantastic. It's great to be here. Uh, I've been a big fan of Navig for many years uh so this was when you reached out i was like oh this is a bit of a treat like these guys are experts and they're asking me this is i made it i made it this is it <laughs> all right well this is the pinnacle this is the pinnacle i can only go down from here uh, <laughs> That's no, right. no, i'm kidding steve so uh yeah with all of that out of the way let's get right into it um and so the first question i always ask our guests uh especially ones who have an interesting background like yours is what brought you into web3 so tell us a little bit about your background and what was your journey down the rabbit hole yeah well, I, you, know, you don't start small uh, using Web3 in the first sentence, right? That's great for, for <laughs> all the game companies, right? That now shy away from Web3. Um, I, think, I think you have to be careful uh, with Web3 nowadays, right? There is a bit of um, noise in the industry. And, you know, Midnight or, or Navic, we have a platform, right? And so I think, you know, how do we bring calmness to Web3 and, and cut through the noise? Uh, so, well, again, thanks for, for having me be here. Um, my background in Web3, I would say, started a long time ago. Uh, I was an esports player in 1997, uh, Pacific Shard, uh, PvP winners, uh, numerous years in a row, uh, Seas Perilous and Ultima Online. Um, what I did is I started turning my winnings into uh, sales. I would go to eBay. I was like, oh, well, I won this castle or I won this gold. And I would sell on eBay. And then I realized... Uh, 
people are just buying gold. Like, why am I going, you know, taking the time to go to these tournaments, lug my massive computer at the thing? Because they were very heavy back uh, <laughs> in the late night. Uh, I can just set up all these bots. And so I was 15. I had uh, seven AOL phone lines uh, attached to my parents' house in the basement. Wow. And you were one of those bots. kids, huh? You were yeah. one of those kids. I, I, knew, I knew kids like you. <laughs> uh, we were very lucky to be very close to a... Uh, I guess, uh, a hub. So my, my what 56 K modem actually hit 56 K and, uh, it was fantastic. And, you know, um, I was the first to, to go to university in my family and it was all because of games. And I've never, you know, I, I've never got big onto you know, blockchain and the techno babble behind it, but the idea that web three is the next evolution of the creator economy. That's very exciting to me because, you know, uh, I wouldn't be here today if I wasn't able to participate inside of these ecosystems. And so if I think about, you know, where I've came from the, the late nineties, uh, you know, we eventually pivoted, um, eBay shut us down in 2002. Uh, we're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, just starting university, what am I going to do? That was my source of income. I had to become a real company. And so we reached out to a couple um, groups to do community management. And um, we ended up doing community management for the World of Warcraft Alpha. They were our first real client, World of Warcraft yes. and uh, Guild Wars. So like that kind of made us a real thing. Uh, we were, you know, trucking along, working on these uh large titles and then yahoo japan in 2005 2006 they decided that they want to start publishing free-to-play games in the u.s um i had just been to a game conference in austin texas where uh the two probably two of the smartest women in the game i ever met sue bowl and cindy armstrong were in this panel saying you know this is the death of premium games this is the death of subscriptions uh you need to be doing free-to-play and i'm thinking like well my entire income comes from subscription-based mmos uh, i better jump on this and so i ended up selling my company uh at the time uh to yahoo japan which became uh, area games here in the u.s which eventually sold to gameigo and so we you know kind of brought free-to-play game publishing to the u.s uh sorry but uh you know it was, it was fun at the time sorry not Sorry. And that's right. Uh, no, it, it, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I remember just sitting with a lot of the free to play game people in the beginning. You know, having uh, these lunch dates in, in Silicon Valley, just talk, like you know, how do we get interviews on IGN, right? How do we get people to talk about us because it was such a new model? And uh, you know, now look what it's become, right? Uh, digital items are just it's a billion dollar industry, and and gray a lot of gray markets. And so uh, after I moved on from Area Games, I started. Every Asian free-to-play game company uh, that came to the U.S. which came through one of my um, consulting firms or my publishing practice. And uh, there was one company, uh, PlaySpan, I don't know if you're familiar with it. They were the first publisher-sponsored marketplace to start trading digital items, right? So it was before blockchain, but it was still the idea that your items are valuable. Um, you should be able to have some kind of agency over them. And uh, so we started doing that. And, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, Visa ended up acquiring it for $240 million. So it wasn't a, a bad exit uh, for, for the investors. But what we saw was it was a little too early. Uh, and it was also very difficult to get um, the big guys. Like, you know, Activision didn't want their users to trade with EA's users at the time, but uh, all the mid-sized publishers were on board, right? So we converted Dungeons and Dragons online and uh, Lord of the Rings online to free to play, uh, Mew online. And so like, I would like, I would have my sword in one game and I would sell it for currency or I would trade it for something, another game I wanted to move to. And we saw like, it was very helpful for uh, retention more so than anything else we did. Cause like people play one main game. And even back then, like, you know, we would have someone in an MMO, they played for six or nine months and, you know, they might jump and play something else, but the fact that they could take something with them, um, it just became quite more valuable. And so I've always loved that idea. And 
you know, I jumped into investment banking after I sold my third company, what, seven years ago, uh, which was a, another video game publisher. And we started doing a lot of Web3 um, capital raises. And I was introducing these guys um, as veterans. Uh, you know, there's two guys in their garage, right? And we were raising these uh, absurd amounts of money uh, for them. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if, if they're veterans in the game space, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur or even more a fossil. Uh, <laughs> but I love, you know, real money transactions. I love the fact that people can participate and, you know, the fact they have better opportunities. Like Crypto Web 3 is hope to so many people. And I would be um, doing a disservice if I didn't get back into it and, and, and try to give people the same opportunities I had. So I thought, you know, I left gaming, I left investment banking, or sorry, I left investment banking to get back into gaming. Um, and it's been fun. Uh, so I think, you know, we're leaning into two, two heavy things, um, which I didn't like to hear. And what I, you know, which I'm trying to push is I think participation is the key word, right? It's not, it's not really ownership in a lot of these, these ecosystems. It's you get to participate in an ecosystem that you get to spend your time. And then a lot of the companies that were giving us pitch decks, uh, when I asked them about their business models, like how they were going to make money, how the, the token holders would make money, uh, they kept on using the word fun. And hey, fun's a great word. Everyone should be playing fun. But like fun is such a hand wavy word in Web3 that I, I really try to to, to push down on it. And I think the right word is fulfillment. And, you know, you, if you have a play there, there's different categories in taxonomy of users. So like people could be there for fun. People there could be there to earn money. People could be there for esports to be competitive and you have, you know, 15 different groups. And as long as you can find fulfillment for combinations or various groups, I think that's, that's the key for, for web three. Uh, and that's why I get back into it to bring uh, participation and fulfillment. Fantastic. I mean, what a background. This is why I always like to start with <laughs> with with this. Um, and you know, a lot of the time, you know, Web three is about has been about opportunity. You know, so some of the folks who are coming in a little later, to your point, there's a little sensitivity around the word Web three now. But uh, I always love the stories where it really truly comes from a place of you know personal experience. In your case, um, you know, selling on eBay for five years <laughs> um, before before uh, uh, you got shut down, and and it's really surprising. Uh, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but so many of our guests, there's some connection to World of Warcraft, uh, which you know, for perhaps shouldn't be, right? yeah, perhaps shouldn't be shouldn't be that surprising. So, so I I do love how you've got this kind of through thread all the way through your career, uh, coming mm. coming into Web three, and I I love the the word fulfillment. Um, as well. I, I hope it resonates throughout the rest of um, of all your podcasts around Web three because I think I think it's the right word. Yeah, it's um, a good one. Yeah, I just sure. I think about it. Uh, you know, if you think you talk about MMOs, World of Warcraft, Ultima Online was my first, so I'll, that's that would be my first one, right? But uh, you know, we we'd see, uh, investment banking, I would see a lot of pitch decks, and like all the pitch decks were, uh, excuse me, searching for gold, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone wanted to get rich, and like that's how we're doing it. And I'm like, well. Web three, multiverses, metaverses, like it's 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 so much more than just you know having a company and forexing your token in three months and pumping and dumping. It's like the people that play these games, like there is history, there's love, there's friendship, like there's quiet achievements of like ordinary people in these games doing extraordinary things, and like those stories are fantastic. Like I I could recant stories of like PvP experiences and games from twenty years ago and have fun, and I think that's what matters, right? Those people's stories. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, well, that's a perfect segue then into what you're actually doing. <laughs> uh, great background. <laughs> yeah. I understand why you've got into Web3. Um, but uh, Midnight, which is the company, uh, what is it and what are you doing with Midnight? Yeah, so I, there's, I guess, two lines of uh, product there. So Midnight itself, it's a 
game publisher, a premium game publisher, Double A Games. I think you could say we're the category leader in Web3 for premium Double uh, A Games. Uh, most people are heavily focused on free-to-play or mobile, where we're PC console games. Um, so that's where we're going. We're, we're building from original IPs. We're licensing IPs. We're looking to uh, find companies that want to join what we're doing and, and publish those games. Uh, and through that, we're building a product called the Evergreen, which is our uh, companion app. So, you know, we mentioned World of Warcraft. That's probably got the granddaddy of all companion apps that's still alive. Uh, it's a social hub. So when people think of MMOs, they think of, you know, a persistent world and, and social features. Uh, in our world, we're kind of getting rid of the persistent hub or, yeah, the persistent world, and we're keeping the social hub. And so we're quite, a, quite excited for that. So publishing premier games and linking them all together through a mobile companion app. That's the, the two things we're doing. All right. Well, it sounds so simple, but obviously there's a lot to unpack <laughs> under the under the That's hood right. there. So, so why don't we start with uh, just kind of where you guys are at operationally? How many? You already have multiple studios, is my understanding, uh, working on on some of these things. How many studios do you have operating currently? Where are they? And uh, how big are the teams that, that you work yeah. with? Yeah. So we have our um, own internal uh, platform studio, although I hate the word platform because we're building an MMO. It's, we're very narrative driven. Um, actually, there's a red flag for me when I was doing investment banking. Whenever platform. a game studio had said like, hey, we're becoming a platform company now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're, are you? you're are you really? trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but we do have a platform team. Uh, we do that in the U.S. and in uh, Indonesia. We actually acquired a business. Um, we acquired a company called Square Two, uh, and that's the basis for our mobile companions. Square Two was a fantastic company. They raised you know six million in VC funding, uh, forty million in top line revenue. Um, they had what we would refer to in three is four point seven million registered wallets, and they were doing play to earn before play to earn was cool. Uh, the thing is, they were doing it in hyper casual mobile games, and hyper casual mobile games took a big hit, and that's why we were able to, you know, s- you know, swoop in and, and acquire them. But uh, it was it was it was really cool because like, how do you? People always say like, how do you onboard people to Web three? And they were already doing it because, you know, if you're playing solitaire, you're playing uh, bubble shooter, and it was these mom groups, lots of moms. And, you know, they were hmm. playing solitaire, playing bubble shooters, and getting diapers and formula. Uh, they did 1.3 million transactions on eBay. Like this wow. is a great company. Like it's a real a real thing. And so we acquired them as our the basis as our, as our core, right? So it's like 250,000 daily active users. It's 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 tried and true tech. Uh, so you know that team is the first one. That's our platform team. Uh, but of course, we need real games, and we want to make PC console games. And so we have a studio in LA. Uh, they're doing two games. Uh, we have a studio in the UK. They're doing one game currently, and we have a studio in Thailand. It's only one game. Um, happy to chat about uh, the games in general, the studios, but uh, we want to do more, right? So the idea is eventually we're doing one game a month. Um, there's some great double A studios who've done, you know, I think Team 17 did 26 games last year. I think uh, Curve Digital probably did 60. So it's uh, it's sustainable, but it's, it's going to take a while to ramp up to, to mm-hmm. that. So I think what we'll probably end up doing is maybe four to five games uh, every six months and, and look at the seasons until we can get to that ramp where it's one a month. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you'll need more studios. I alluded in my intro <laughs> that the fact that you're, you're, you are swooping in and you're taking an opportunity of the fact that there has been a little you know, consolidation and, and uh, running out of money, to put it mildly, <laughs> in the Web3 yeah. space. So what is your criteria for acquiring teams, acquiring games? Uh, what kind of size transaction are you looking to do? Is it opportunistic or do you have a strategy for here's how we're going to look for these companies actively or are they they're going to come to you? Yeah. A lot, yeah. a lot of questions in there, but really it's, it's about what is that, what is your criteria for acquiring teams and games? How are you going about it? Yeah, so 
I think if you think of 2023 as the gaming year of layoffs, and you know, I think we're already at 50% of uh, the layoffs from last year just in the first part of uh, 2024, I, I do think this is the year that either companies will be shut down or acquired. And I think there's going to be a lot of small-scale acquisition, especially in the Web3 space and, and gaming. Um, we have looked at seven companies so far, and it's, you know, uh, we're only halfway through February. Yeah. Uh, we, we say, you know, we're like a typical VC fund where we say no a lot more than we say yes. Uh, there was only one company that I wanted to say yes on. Um, we put a bid in. We did not win the bid because, you know, I'm still kind of cheap. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was it was the Awesome Knots creator. You know, I don't know if you remember the game Awesome Knots. They went through a process and they were um, they were sold. Uh, I don't know who to, but uh, I think we, we lost the bid by just a skosh. Mm. Um, but there's, there's a lot of opportunities, whether it's a... A really cool brand, and I think there's a lot of brands in Web3 that you know they they peak, they got a lot of audience, but then they couldn't, you know, they couldn't monetize that audience, right? They did, they didn't know how to make a game, or they didn't know how to you know create a technology around it. So I think there's three things: like we're interested in IP, we're interested in teams, we're interested in technology. Um, I just had a call yesterday with some folks at Disney. Like there's an entire team that has been laid off, and I'm like, you know, why doesn't someone just put money and make them into a studio, right? There is so many benefits of having people that's already worked together. This is starting from scratch. And so we're, we're looking at various different ways to, to work on things. Um, the scale of our games are, you know, double A, what I say. And um, I think there's probably some education for, for even people in the game industry, what double A games are. Uh, double A is somewhere between indie and triple A. Uh, and it really comes down to budgets. I think a AAA game starts at about 60 million nowadays with inflation, and so our games are far far less than 60 million. We're probably in the let's say five and a half, or sorry, yeah, say 500,000 to three and a half million right now. Um, and then for sequels and DLC, maybe we'll put more money up to five million because we'll chase success if a game mm-hmm. does well. Um, but most of our games are meant to die. Uh, the game will. You know, traditional sense, Subway games, they have like a three to six month window where they, you know, they pop and then mm-hmm. sales kind of flounder. We think with Web3 and our companion app, we can extend that eight to 12 months. And so we're, we're pretty excited about our model. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're trucking along. So if anyone has a, a game out there and, you know, a budget mm-hmm. under 5 million, uh, we're interested in having a look. Uh, I mean, look at the success, right, of, um, of PAL Worlds, right? Seven and a half million yeah. dollar, 300 million sales. So like Subway yeah. games, one in a hundred, you could get a blockbuster. Maybe one in thirty, you get a hit. But for the most part, you get one, two, or three X games, right? So uh, we're at Dice right now here in Vegas. Um, I was chatting with a couple double A publishers, and they're all throwing off cash. Um, mm. I mean, it's not huge amounts of money, but you know, five million, they're throwing off a million. Uh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, it's real money. For sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I love how this is why I wanted to have you on the pod. Is I, I love how clear-headed you are. Uh, in your thesis uh, and how different your thesis is to so many others um, in the space. Now, we have seen some kind of Web3 roll-up publisher type pitches. Um, None of them have panned out. Uh, (laughs) Why do do you think yours is going to pan out? Um, Yeah. Uh, Well, that's a good question. I've I've seen a lot of... um, I'm not going to call anyone out, but like uh, passports are a big thing, right? Everyone is like, hey, this is my passport, right? And so Midnight has a uh, Baja Blast Passport protocol unit, right? We can connect to 40,000 games. Uh, but like essentially what people are saying is like, hey, I have this old Web2 you know, Facebook login, and that's going to be you know, how we roll up all these different games. And it's a lot of like really tiny web games that people don't really want to play. Like there's no fulfillment in that, right? People are saying, oh, we've got a bunch of games as a 
I call them hippo metrics. I think most people refer to them as vanity metrics. And mm-hmm. you can have a bunch of vanity metrics games in your uh, portfolio, but if no one's actually playing those games, it's not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need a lot of users for our model, but we need, you know, concurrently, every game that we publish should be able to do 200 to 800 concurrent users. And you know, that doesn't sound like a terrible lot, but once you get to 26 games that can support mm-hmm. that, that's great. Um, because that's people actually playing a meaningful amount of time. Uh, another thing that I think is different or unique to Midnight is, you know, when we were raising capital for our C around, you know, in the heyday, people would always ask, you know, where's the value flow? Does it flow to the equity? Does it flow to the token? And I'm, you know, kind of the Warren Buffett. I was like, you know, don't get caught up in the equity. Don't get caught up in the, the it's a business. You're investing into a business. If the games do well, both will rise. Our business model is like the premium side covers our, you know, the lights stay on because we're selling games. We know that business. Mm-hmm. The Web3 side is, you know, icing on the cake to us because we're not taking a lot of money from the Web3 side. That's all given to the users. And that's something unique to us where we don't rely on Web3 being our business model. And I think any company that is relying on Web3 being their business model, they're going to find out fairly quickly, like we found out in PlaySpan 2009, that it's very hard to sustain, right? If you're looking at you know, a million wallets, you need 16 million players uh, by free-to-play metrics. <laughs> That's a lot of players for a, oftentimes little crappy games. And, you know, we have a model where, you know, if we do a double A game, we only need 50,000, 175,000 people to buy it. That game's profitable and we're profitable. Uh, you know, I'll take a hit if someone buys one or two million units. That's fantastic, right? I'm not going to turn that down. But like we are... We are made to be a predator where we can go out, acquire businesses. We know the numbers. We get a game. We have niche users. We target. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting time. Uh, so I think we just have a fundamental understanding of how the games business works versus a lot of Web3 people getting into it. There's a project that came out in December. Um, it's the closest thing that I've seen you know, to our companion app. Uh, 300,000 users. They raised $9 million in their, their token pre-sale. And then I'm, I'm like reading their white paper, and there's no... There's no understanding of how the gays business works mm-hmm. and yeah, chase my uh, britches a little bit, but uh, they're fantastic marketers. Like the, there's, there's genius level marketing in some of this web three. And that's one of the things like, you know, there's so much noise. How do you cut through it? And how do you like bring real games, real opportunities to people? And that's what we're focused on midnight. Yeah. I know. I love it. I mean, games as a business. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? What a, what a, what a crazy idea. <laughs> they have to make money? Really? That's um, right. Uh, so no, I, I love the fact that you're focusing on their games as a business and it's a, it's a numbers game. I'm a former CPA uh, in a previous life and ex-Zynga PM, as my longtime listeners will know. I love talking about my Zynga days. Um, but yeah, numbers, like the numbers don't lie. And when the numbers work out, you know, the numbers work out. It doesn't matter what the game is or what the studio is or where they're based. You know, That's right. If, if they can ship a game and they can make more money than it costs to make, well, that's a good business. So, uh, fun fun fact there. Profit matters. When were you at Zynga? Were you at the heyday when they were sharing uh, on yeah. Facebook before? Yeah, okay. Ma- uh, Mafia Wars on MySpace. Mafia still, Wars. Yeah, I still remember those days. And then the launch of Farmville on, on Facebook Canvas and then the rocket ship that followed. So, yeah, that was those were fun times, exciting times. Uh, very formative years. Everybody has their formative right. years in the games industry somewhere. Um, okay, well, then I'm going to ask the, the obvious question, is, which is you haven't raised a ton of money, I don't think. And, and I couldn't find out a lot about what you you know, how you're funding this thing. So I'm going to ask you just directly, like, how are you financing these acquisitions? I understand the the business model, but to get to the, the volume of games, as you alluded to yourself, you know, you need to ramp up, right? And that mm-hmm. takes money and that takes time. And uh, 
yeah, my question is how are you financing these, these acquisitions yeah. and these activities? You're, you're exactly right. So the biggest risk to Midnight and the Evergreen project is the initial portfolio, because uh, that's the most capital intensive, right? Before we have a flywheel of games that are, and essentially we're, we're saying it's eight to nine games uh, before we can just self-finance. So in order to get to those eight to nine games, it does require some capital. Um, we had raised a six million seed round. Um, took us three weeks to do it during the high heydays, right, of, of, of doing it. Uh, we got a grant. We had a, another almost six million dollar grant from uh, Forte.io, um, and then we're currently raising more. We, <laughs> I don't know if for better or for worse, we turned away a lot of money um, in 2022, mostly from L1s and L2s looking for exclusivity. I just I couldn't buy into the exclusivity. Like I don't mind making a game on this chain or this chain or this chain, but uh, none of them had, you know, you know, seemed like, hey, this is the shining light. This is going to be the winner for for games. This is where you need to be, and you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. But we are, you know, we're we're getting ready to raise a, another round now. We'll probably do that uh, middle of summer. Uh, we're looking at uh, everything from debt financing to uh, our project debt for, for the games, which is always fun. Um, I did a lot of that in uh, traditional or my previous life as a banker. Um, we'll do equity, and then we'll, the fun thing, uh, which is fun for me, because you know we spent a bunch of money with Deloitte and like four different law firms, uh, <laughs> is, is setting up offshore financing to do a token. Um, so our token will be launched on April first, uh, April Fool's Day. I can't think of a better day to do a gaming. What token. a day! What a day for uh, a Web three exactly. token launch. <laughs> yeah, it's just like we could ask for a better day. What's the um, token called, by the way? Uh, Echo token. Echo, okay. Yeah, I so thought there the might Echo be some token. tie-in to April first, but no, no, I, I, no tie-in. Can't think, can't think of it for Echo. Yeah, we went with Echo because the way we look at the the token is it's again it's, it's player stories matter. I think you know we want to be a narrative-driven company, and essentially when you play, it's your Echo. It's just, it's your digital Echo, and that's where the name came from. Um, and so we're yeah we're excited to, to see where that goes. Fantastic. Uh, and um, I've, I've, there's a bit of a bull right now, so everyone's quite excited. Um, yeah, you're timing it pretty well. Who knows what April 1st is going to bring? Like we could have five roller coasters <laughs> right, in between right. then and now, but um, but no, you're timing it pretty well. Uh, so th- I had a, a, a planned question actually on this, so I'm just going to bring it forward a little bit, which is, uh, you know, you're doing a token sale and obviously tokens still do work, but obviously they work a lot less effectively than they did back in the the heyday, you know, 2021, late sure. Q, Q4 2021. If you launch a token, then you could raise $100 million without, you know, <laughs> batting an eye. Uh, yeah. So so I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, have, have you evaluated the token raise market uh, recently? And what are your expectations for a token sale? Yeah, so I think if you look... Um in the last 24 hours, uh, crypto VC funding has climbed um, higher for the first time in two years, where it's, it's past the previous quarter. Uh, so there is a bit of a bull where people are getting excited, right? You know, the price of Bitcoin is up, so everything rises. Everyone's you know happy. All the alts are up. Uh, so VCs are starting to uh, put cash back into it. I think you know the idea or the days of like you know here's two guys in the garage with PowerPoint presentation. You really need a product. Uh, you really need those hippo, or I keep on calling hippo, vanity metrics. Like your your socials have to be hot. Uh, you you know people have to be able to touch and feel things now um, because there were just you know what ninety something with ninety one percent of uh, NFT game projects are dead. Right? One in four VC funded um, Web three game companies in trouble. Uh, which you know reach out to me. We're we're always looking to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 rough out there, and I, I don't want to paint and raise your picture that you know midnight is. Uh, you know, a, a bastion for hope. Um, although we, you know, I like to think that we are. Uh, it's tough, 
right? It is, it is tough out there. Um, crypto sales in particular, like, a, you know, we've been planning for a while. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, I would say, pedigreed um, Web3 companies like us that have backgrounds in gaming who understand, you know, how to make them not only make money for the company, but make sure the users uh, see benefit, um, which, is, you know, maybe that's something different than most companies do where, we're, you know, we're not here for a short time, we're here for a long time. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fun. So, like, we, we've said, uh, uh, how do I explain it? So last year, it was difficult. Uh, this year, people are competing for business again. And so it's, it's definitely refreshing. Um, I've, you know, kind of pushed a few projects. I was like, if you can get a token out this year, I think you should. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a hundred million dollar raise, but you know, for us, we're probably looking at around 20 million, um, somewhere 10 to 20. And that's enough for us. You know, we're double A games. We have small budgets. Um, the biggest one that I saw recently, which I obviously am a massive fan of, uh, I'm an investor, so I probably should say that is shrapnel they launched their token in mm -hmm. uh, november to great success they're you know they've set the bar for web3 games in my opinion um i you know it's just uh it's fantastic i think there there is opportunities out there if you're a pedigreed team that's building something versus you know here's a, a rug pull right i yeah. think the rug pulls are probably done um but i think the real teams that are really leaning into crypto and you know allowing users to participate i think there's opportunities out there um either from investors from doing token sales uh you know getting all your kols on board to, to sell to users working at the right exchanges there's you know you, know, you i could list the well i'm not gonna list them but uh you know there's obviously tier one exchanges tier two tier three uh launch pads you just want to make sure like there's there you know if you've not done it before work with an advisor um, or uh, follow someone else's playbook, right? Look at some other companies that's already done it and just do what they did. Because um, I think there is a path to success in this that is going to make sense for the next year, um, maybe the next six months. Like you say, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in April? <laughs> yeah. But I, think it, I think it is a viable path nowadays. Um, yeah. But it's not the end odds. It, in, in my mind, it is just a tool. It's another tool, right? Mm -hmm. Debt, VC, tokens. Maybe we do a SPAC, right? Maybe SPACs come back when there's a lot of money. Well, yeah, no. I, I, I mean, I think you said rug pulls are probably done. I, I think quite the opposite in <laughs> the next six months. I think, <laughs> you know, with, with the, uh, the the rise in, in the prices, you know, especially Bitcoin and all the alts following mm -hmm. suit, um, you're going to see all the ruggers uh, come back. <laughs> maybe let me rephrase that. Try and make I the think, quick buck, you know, yeah. like whenever there's money to be made, there's going to be right. ruggers and scammers. So, uh, so I 100% I agree with that. What I meant was I don't think VCs will be investing in rug pulls anymore. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think there will be projects that pop up. Uh, like I said, I think the one in December um, is a bit of a rug pull because they have no understanding of games, but Users are excited, right? And pe yeah. people want to be excited. There's so much hope. And people want to believe. Hey, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you should get that. Uh, I want to believe. <laughs> I want to believe. <laughs> Mulder and Scully. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so I had a question about audience for these games. You know, you're doing double A games, and I totally yeah. understand the logic of of why uh, it's the business of games. It's you know, costs are less than the the revenues, hence profit. Fun you know, fun, fun little model there. Um, but who's the audience for these games? Do, do you have a particular genre in mind? Are you genre agnostic? And yeah. uh, is it more for the average person who knows nothing about crypto and Web3? Or is it for crypto enthusiasts? Or is it both? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so the Evergreen Companion app, I think that's where most of the Web3 users are going to live because that is, it's free. You don't have to put five to 40 bucks up front to play the game. But you can farm other games and you can, the Web3 users will be able to sell 
items they create to Web2 users in the games. And the games themselves, we are, we're game agnostic uh, because that's the fun, right? So if we're doing 12 games a year, it should be a hardship if you don't play all 12 games. Maybe you play four games, right? Like maybe you like the fighting game, maybe you like the fishing game, maybe you like the Barbie dress-up game, but you hate FPS games. But there's an item inside of that FPS game uh, that you really want for your Barbie dress-up game. Well, now, because of that hardship, there's uh, a built-in marketplace. Like now people who don't play the FPS game, now they can sell you whatever that black T-shirt is or something. And so that's, that's what I love about MMOs, that you know, it's these virtual worlds where you have people intermingling with people that uh, really wouldn't mingle in the first place, but now there's, they kind of have to. So like we encourage interaction through having different uh, genres of games. Uh, the games themselves are niche, right? These are double way games. Our first games, a 2D pixel brawler, uh, you know, at scales, mostly male, average age 27. It's got a TAM of 119 million, right? So it's not a massive game, but it's one game. Uh, you know, our next game is kind of a, uh, in that, uh, kind of like overcooked chore simulators, right? So it skews uh, mostly female, younger, probably at 24, uh, less tan, maybe 90 million. Um, So we're not looking at major games, major game categories, but if we keep on adding a bunch, right? So like we had 10 games, now we're at a billion dollars. And it's a, you know, it's, different type of people out there. They're forced to mingle. And that's how you create a real circular uh, ecosystem, in my opinion, uh, circular economy, rather. Interesting, interesting. And uh, these, and, and they do need to know about crypto, though. I just want to understand the evergreen. No, no, app. no, no. Sorry. So the games themselves, the, the Web2 the, games. I understand, the, yeah, but yeah. The, the games I understand are, are just Web2. They're just games. And then there's the, uh, the transfer of value trading marketplace aspect that goes between the games. But does that not imply that the, the players, even though they're playing their individual games, don't need to know anything about crypto for that? If they want to do the trading, the marketplace piece, then they do need to understand what well, the we web three components are. Is a that, I, I'm having component, a, yeah. No, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Um, we, we expect a large amount of trading to happen in, in platform. And so they, they may have to go to the Evergreen app to do a decent amount of trading or the crafting or how they move items behind. But you know, they're not going to have to worry about their own wallets, right? All that stuff is hidden. We've got our own kind of system that, you know, cross wallet uh, across games. Uh, what is, I think, most unique is they log into their game. Uh, and you think of it as playing. I don't know if you played, you know, Diablo Four, but you know, you, you plop down seventy bucks for that game, uh, and then there's like the, the item store. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, do you want to spend fifteen more dollars to get this horse skin? Uh, and Midnight's games, the the plus version, that horse skin, that's sold by other players. Midnight has taken a stance that we are not. We're going to have an item shop in every game. It's a very familiar item shop, and we actually plan the item shop for the first three months of live service, and then beyond that is UCG. But uh, we give that to the Web3 users' hands to sell to Web2 users. Um, that's how we're looking to, to, to launch on Steam. That's how we're looking to launch in South Korea because the Web3 doesn't happen inside of the, the, the Web2 games themselves. Um, any of the digital items sold there is purely, um, you know, it looks as a Web2 game now. Now, I think there could be uh, game-specific crafting materials that, that they get. And, and maybe if they're on the Apple, it's like, hey, you, know, you have these materials, they're valuable in other games. Or you, know, you have these seven items, you don't play this game, it's worth $700, you should go sell it. Um, you know, it's, it's knowing when to message the user at the right time. But like, they're not going to come into these games and we're like, hey, you're going to make a bunch of money. Uh, no, it's like, hey, play this game, have fun with it. Stay in this game, right? That's one of the, the things that 
I think a lot of people get wrong with interoperability when they were, which you don't hear about in the last six months. No one talks about interoperability mm. anymore. But uh, the idea was like, hey, well, this is going to jump from this game to this game. And I was like, no, that's the wrong idea. We just did the study with Deloitte where if someone's in a game, you want to keep them in a game for as long as possible because that's where you know they're going to have the most fun. That's where they're going to spend the most money. Um, now, if they come, they play the game, pop on five bucks, they play it for you know 10 hours, they're done with it. You want to be able to move them to the next game. You want to keep them inside your ecosystem. But the idea of uh, moving users around, it, it's you don't really want to do that. You want to, you want them to stay where they're happiest, and then mm. that's where they, you know, they'll bring their friends and stay and stay a little longer. Yeah, um, bring their friends. Actually, that's a great point. Um, do you have any kind of social hooks uh, built into the into the games themselves, or are they mostly first person, yeah. you know, single player games, uh, or do you have, you know, like? Ma- you know, massive brawlers where you've got you know hundreds of players at the same time. Um, <laughs> no, no hundreds of player brawlers, but uh, okay. most of our games are multiplayer, one to four players, maybe one to six. Uh, we have some ideas for some single player games, but even the single player games, you want you know, gaming could be lonely. Um, and I, I like the idea that you know you you beat a chapter. Uh, Telltale did a really good job of this when you if you remember Telltale. Games, oh, I like, love Telltale. You, yeah. Love them. Uh, they just did a Star Trek, well, not Telltale, but the guys from Telltale, they did Star Trek Resurgence. Um, if you're a Star Trek fan or Telltale fan, I highly recommend that game. It's uh, It was a lot of fun. Um, but something that Telltale did, which Star Trek Research didn't do, mm-hmm. uh, was like after you complete the chapter, someone's like, hey, 56% of the people did A. This you did action, B. Yeah. What a weirdo. I remember that. And I remember I that, that. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I think you can reward things and you can drop some, you know, exclusive loot in single player games so make people want to go and farm that single player game but it's all about the experience of the story so like it's for us it's more rng than like hey if i play this game 20 times i know i'm gonna be able to farm x materials like oh if i play this 20 times and i do different things oh there's a chance i'll get x material or x item or you know b achievement um so yeah we're (laughs) <laughs> we're looking for fulfillment in all of our games. Uh, there are a bunch of social hooks. If I think about the, the companion app, uh, the thing I compare it most to um, is uh, Pinterest. I think uh, Pinterest is a great way to collect uh, your hobbies. And you know we've got mini games inside of the, the app. There are people will be able to farm airdrops. There's a crafting system, which I think is the way how we do interoperability and make it successful. But at the same time, like, you know, here's your friends. This is your friend's items. This is what the, the NFTs they've destroyed, uh, or this is what they've crafted. This is the game they've done. This is their achievement. Um, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, nice. It sounds like a, a lot going on in there. So uh, when yeah. are you planning on <laughs> launching? definitely publishing by our weight. <laughs> yes. Um, when is uh, Evergreen, the Evergreen app, uh, launching? Obviously, the games will launch whenever they're ready, right? Like, they'll just, you'll just yeah. be rolling them out on a, a regular cadence once you hit your stride you want to do how many did you say you want to do a month one a month uh, is that right? ideally it's More. 13 games a year it's one a yeah, month and then month. Uh, an extra one in the holidays um, okay. for whatever we Bonus. call our holiday fest maybe a baker's dozen fest. baker's yeah, dozen of games right. i never heard of that before okay yeah. cool uh, so that's uh, the goal okay so that's, that's the goal. first and, party games and we, when we do can you, do more third party yeah, yeah. Uh, and when do you think you're going to hit that stride um yeah so we're actually launching our uh open beta for evergreen next month Oh, cool. And so it's got two mini games. Uh, it's got decent amount of social features. And uh, we plan to build it over the summer uh, to when our games, are, our first two games are ready in October. And so people can pre farm those games for crafting materials, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Pre farm. That's right. There's we embrace phrase. bots. We, we embrace bots um, <laughs> by actually giving people bots and like, hey, oh, this is your fun. bot named uh, Nico, right? And okay. Nico can go to different games. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I like I like the idea of having my own bot. Um, the uh, w- yeah yeah I was going to say where where can uh, if listeners are curious or interested where can they 
uh, sign up for the the beta? Is there anywhere we can go? Uh, and, well, and, uh, please get, come to our Discord, follow us on Twitter, um, and whatever social network that uh, the marketing team turns on the next uh, week. But uh, it should be first week of March, uh, Android, iOS, um, Evergreen app. Uh, so I think our Twitter is Play Evergreen. Uh, just go, I'll, I'll throw them in here so you can. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, and we'll yeah. we'll put them in the show notes as well. We always put these in the show notes. So oh, cool. uh, we'll make sure we have something there to uh, if people are interested in, in checking this out. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll have some links. There. I was actually quite surprised. So we, when we had raised our uh, our initial fund, uh, you know, our investors were like, hey, Steve, you know, no one knows about you. Do something. And I was like, all right, well, we do a, P- a PR piece. And uh, Dean of Venture Week was kind enough to pick us up. And 3,000 people joined our Discord. And for two years, wow. we didn't say hello. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Dean, yeah, well, here's Dean's listening. Dean, you have a lot more pull than you should be. You should be out there like asking people to follow you on Twitter and, uh, you know, get, get an <laughs> NFT for free or something. Dean. That's right. You do Dean NFTs, right? Moon, moon, I, moving I, I, numbers. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, well, here's the crazy thing. So we didn't talk to them for two years. Uh, we said hello and we turned our Twitter on, uh, more than 10,000 people joined in less than 48 hours. Wow. Okay. And uh, so now we're like, it's just, uh, there's, there's definitely built in audiences for web three that are craving for pedigree projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, our, our niche Dubway games, I think they have built in audiences already. So yeah, I'm yeah. definitely excited to see how we mingle them. Right. Yeah. That's cause I say that's been the thing. Like how do web three users and, and web two users chat and, you know, do I have to create two different discords? Like, ah, we don't know yet. We're going to find out. Yeah, yeah. And do they even speak the same language? You know, <laughs> That's right. The Web3 language and the Web2 language in gaming, you know, you would think it's the same because it's games, but actually it's not. They, there's a lot of it's, uh, cross-talking and, and using terminology that, uh, that uh, certainly Web2 folks don't really understand necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot of the Web3 language every once in a while. Like, my, you know, my hip-hop is up 40% on the flop network and you got to bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yes. Um, okay. So you you touched on something which um, is near and dear to my heart, which is distribution, discoverability, getting your product into the hands of the consumers, the, the players that you want to get it into the hands of. And no matter how good your games are, no matter how amazing your product is, this applies to any product, it, it it's going to hinge, its success is going to hinge on finding the right audience or the right audience finding you. So either push or pull. And I ask all of our Web3 guests this because this is such a critical piece of the puzzle, how are you intending on reaching your target audience? You know, you've said you're going to be cross-platform. So let's talk about the platforms you're going to be on and then how you're going to actually find the audience or how they're going to find you. Yeah. Um, discoverability, I think Web 2, Web 3, it's, it's, it's a big issue for games, right? There's so many games being pushed so out hard. now. Um, I wish that some of the platforms would limit, uh, you know, have some kind of their own... Um, you know, filter system, but uh, it's a it's a lot out there. I think we're in a great spot. Uh, if you look at our top of funnel, uh, even more so than an MMO, right? If if you were if we were doing the persistent world MMO, I think that would limit our funnel versus having all these different game types, different you know uh, demographic, different uh, age ranges. Uh, gives us a much broader top of funnel, and I think our niche games, our niche AA games for niche users, they have built-in audiences. Like we'll be able to find those audiences. I say. You know, fairly easy. Um, most of the games we're making now, with the game developers we're making with, they've already made these games, and for, so a lot of times it's—I don't want to say a reskin because we're doing more than just a reskin, but like they've already spent six million dollars building this game, this engine. They have fan base. They've done millions of installs. We're taking that, and we're taking that to this niche audience. Like, hey, here's a new spin, or here's a new IP. And so I think 
the Web 2 gamer side, we know where those gamers are. We've found them for two decades, right? And so I think bringing them on is going to be easy. Uh, it's the Web3 users that I actually find challenging. Um, when I was raising our, you know, our six million C around, I had an investor said, "Look, it's easier to raise six million dollars than to get six hundred Twitter followers." And I was like, "Oh wow!" And so I true. think there is Certainly something to that, right? Yeah, and, and this goes back to you know the first thing we talked about. Like, there's a lot of noise in this space. How do you cut through the noise? How do you present yourself as the as the right person, right? And like you know, I found that you know we have marketing groups, we have PR groups, we have community groups, we have uh, in Web three all these different KOLs and KOL managers, and this is all you know. Or I, you know, I guess you know, a couple of years ago they were called influencers, now they're called KOLs, which I bite my tongue every time I see it. Uh, but I, like that's. That's the main group that I think is, is, is the most challenging because our games themselves, we can find users that want to play Barbie dress-up games, right? We can find users who want to play uh, black bass fishing. We can find users that want to play, well, I don't, I don't want to miss uh, we're working on an FPS game, kind of a boomer shooter with a, a major fast food restaurant. So I, like, there's some built-in marketing there, right? And I think it's traditionally how a lot of game companies will do it. Like original IPs are great, but using someone else's IP to boost you up a little bit isn't bad and so there's a lot of you know traditional like hey we're gonna do paid ua we're gonna do you know press releases we're gonna you know make sure that this game gets x amount of wish list because you know premium games x wish list translate to x sales mm -hmm. like that's that's all foundational business stuff that i think we've got uh but i think it's i think it's going to be fun because our games are actual games it's not like we're trying to you know, put lipstick on a pig and say you know come pet my dog it's like here's a, a 2d pixel brawler you like 2D pixel brawlers, come play ours. I mean, makes sense. So if I were to summarize, uh, I just want to make sure I get my understanding right. You feel good and confident about the games themselves, um, the ability to find those audiences. Many of them have built-in audiences already. Doing the tried and true playbook on you know the wish listing and, and making sure that you do the right things on these platforms that you, you clearly know very well. But the wild card is whether you can get folks into the evergreen companion app and you know mingling with each other doing the web three things right. doing the trading that's really where that's where the magic happens arguably that's your deconstructed mmo of course um but that's the wild card that's the question mark that is that it, In a you nutshell. couldn't said better I, okay. I should bring you to to our team and start pitching <laughs> for me uh that's exactly right I can, I can be your translator. Um, okay, <laughs> but it makes so much sense. And I, I totally understand, like, the value really is is going to come from that Web3 piece where, where folks are trading and, and you know, mingling and having fun together, spending time, being really sticky. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if you looked at it as a chart, it's like there's a very linear path to growth to zero to 100 million in revenue just on premium double game sales. The, the extra bit, like, you know, extra 50, extra 100 million is on the, the secondary markets with those people are trading. Uh, and then I think there's a third, you know, once you have enough users, like you become a social network, the companion app is a social network and right. And so then you get into ad sales and, you know, do all the fun stuff that Overwolf's doing. Um, they're an investor, so I have to throw them a, throw them uh, yeah, They've been, they've been on the pod. They haven't been here uh, on my pod, but they've been with, uh, I think Alex Takei's segment. Yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, they, they had Overwolf fun. So, um, yeah, what a, a great, great business that is. Um, so, uh, let's talk about roadmap. So you're thinking about the token raise that's coming you've got your beta coming out soon you've got the summer to build um doing a lot of things what's the roadmap look like for it's the next lot. 12 to 18 months to give or take 
So I would say at the end of 18 months, we should have a more polished companion app. Um, we should have between four and six games live and a lot of games, hopefully, in the pipeline uh, and an active token. One of the cool things, I think it's cool, uh, for our token in the next 18 months is you, know, you have a lot of uh, single token projects that have done well, but they're highly dependent upon one game success. I think that's uh, risky. Uh, and you know what we saw in real money transactions, whenever like the price of the WoW token or you know whatever your MO choice was, like those would always pop on DLC days, patch days, or new expansions. And at midnight, you have a new game coming every month, right? And so yeah, you should see decent pops for that. Um, and I think you know the fun thing is like what I went back to is like gamers might not like every game every month. Uh, and so you you know you, you save your resources. Like, well, I don't like don't play this fishing game, so I'm going to skip August. But come September, when that uh, you know turtle race car game comes out, I'm going to you know drop all my stuff on that, and then prices go up. So I think it's going to be it's going to be fun uh, launching you know content. Uh, I get to work in genres of games that I wouldn't normally work on. We're working on a tea time solitaire game that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm excited for it. Is that a category? I didn't even know that. Uh, well, I've made it a category. It's like a, it's like a, a murder mystery, but I call it Tea Time Solitaire because <laughs> it's like it reminds me of like an Agatha Christie mm. murder mystery. I don't Miss Marple. I love yeah, Miss Marple. Exactly. Oh man, I love Marple. Yeah, she I has. Okay, great. so Miss Marple has the best piece of advice from any fictional character. Uh, I've used it in banking. I've used it in gaming, and she says, uh, "Good advice should always be given, but it's rarely taken." Oh. That's a good line. I, I did not know that came from Miss Marple. I've heard it, uh, yeah, but I did not know Ms. the Marple source quote. of it. So that's Miss Marple. Okay. Well, there you go, listeners. Yeah. You probably learned something today. I haven't thought about Miss Marple in 10 years. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. go that you, of course. I loved Agatha Christie. I loved uh, Sherlock Holmes. Like, I loved all the classic, uh, oh, Hercule, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness me. Those were all so good. Um, right. We should the, try it after. We could geek out on, uh, <laughs> on uh, Agatha Christie and uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, what have you. Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, what a classic that is. Uh, my English literature uh, undergraduate degree coming into, coming into focus oh, wow. here. Yeah. It's getting serious. Um, yeah, getting a little bit too serious for, for a gaming podcast. Let's, uh, let's go back to the token for, for a second. I, I did want to ask, I forgot to ask it earlier, so I'm going to ask it now because it just came up. Um, you know, utility. We use this word utility in Web3, and it's, it's been kind of overused, I think, yeah. perhaps to, to a certain degree. But uh, for lack of a better word, <laughs> um, what is the utility of the Echo token? What do you anticipate the Echo, other than obviously raising funds for you, what are the, the, the owners, the holders of the token uh, getting in return? Yeah. So, uh, I like or what is it used for? Let's put it that way. What is it used yeah. for? I, I think maybe that's the better <laughs> question. What is the utility? Yeah, uh, I, I like the word utility. I think you know all of our law firms like the word utility. Um, <laughs> it helps, right? Uh, I'm excited. Again, you know, Midnight is a game publisher. Uh, Evergreen is the MMO. It's going to take a while for us to get to 26 games, and I think that is when the game is has enough. Uh, core loops, uh, enough users to be fully fleshed out. And that's when the utility of the token is at its fullest. So there is a ramp up in our token where like the first two games, maybe there's not as much utility. And we, we kind of outlined in the white paper, like these are the first like four or five things that can be done. But like as the MMO grows, the value goes up, the use cases go up. Um, 
And we're also fairly opportunistic to look. We're looking at different models to see what people are doing now, because like some things work, some things don't work. Uh, but in the beginning for us, like we are very heavy on cannibalizing our own revenue um, with that premium plus model, and users putting time, effort, bringing their you know their networks in, bringing their friends in, and letting them monetize our games. Right. So Web three users will be able to come in, monetize Web two users that we have that built in player base uh and they get to cash out with our token so like that's like that's the first thing that they get to do um beyond that they'll be able to you know start staking for games you know when we do have our seasonal games we have like five games come out at a time or eventually you know the, the baker's dozen as you call it uh for the year people will pick them and not every game is going to survive uh we are very um transparent that games and Midnight System might only last three or six months before they die. And how cool would it be if like, you picked one of the games that last for two, three, ten years, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a participation in that? So I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to actually use the token. Um, we have our uh, interoperability crafting system, which I think is fairly unique to Midnight the way we're doing it. People, like we said, you know, in the last six or nine months, who's talked about interoperability? Not a lot of people. Uh, so we we built the system. I, I spent heads, I was heads down for like six months, just like writing this, like this is this is how you do interoperability. Uh, we didn't put the full document into the white paper because everyone said, Steve, you're writing uh, an academic paper for people that you know uh, apes don't read. Is is kind of the saying? They're like just just truncate it, put it in there. Ouch. And ouch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was it was painful. Because uh, I wrote 60 pages over Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend, and then like the team cut it down to half of that at 30, and then we put it online, and then the first 357 people to to, to see it in an hour just went straight to the token page, and so like that's mm-hmm. our first audience, right? They're they're just there to to make sure that we're not. Um, we're not going to rug pull them, right? There's there's a lockup in the tokens. There's a long-term treasury fund. Uh, and then every once in a while, I get surprised. Like the, we, we're here at Dice, I mentioned, and some people like have read it. They're asking me about the story. Like, oh, well, what are the bluff? Where did the bluff come from? I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's fun. I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not, a lot going on for sure. That That is that is a fact. Um, yeah. So, and I'm kind of coming to the end of the, uh, of the, the podcast here, but um, we've covered a lot of ground obviously today. Uh, yeah, thanks for the and, questions. This has been Yeah. Great. No, this has been really interesting. And I definitely went, like I said, I wanted to have you on the pod. I saw Dean's piece in, uh, in GameSpeed and, uh, and I read it and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And this is some pretty unique compared to, to what I've, uh, what I typically see in the Web3 space. I like that, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it, it intrigued me. So uh, we covered a lot of ground, but any kind of parting thoughts on, on Midnight? Uh, what are the, some of the, what are the things you're most excited by about what you're doing? Uh, what are the, the biggest opportunities you think for Midnight and Evergreen that are untapped at the moment by anybody else? Yeah, so I think a couple different things. Uh, so the uniqueness of Midnight, right? Where I like I, I like the term category leader for premium double A games in Web three. We're we're hitting that pretty hard. Uh, our interoperability crafting systems is fairly unique in the way that users can come in and actually get payouts. Right? It's not it's not hope. It's like Midnight knows how to make money. We're cannibalizing that money and we're giving it to the users. So I think that's uh, pretty cool. Um, the way that we came in and started this podcast and we just talked about, you know, there's a lot of noise and how do we bring calmness to that? And I think there's something magical about the, you know, 11.59 p.m. right before midnight. There is a bit of calmness between those those hours. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can bring... I don't know. I, I think Web3 needs something between a Mr. Rogers and a Batman. I'm not saying that's us, but I think it's needed. And so mm. that's what I'm hoping to see in the next year is, is voice, calm voices will prevail in the space and real businesses will emerge. 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, I like that answer. I like that answer. It's, <laughs> it's the it's it's a Goldilocks answer. You know, it's the the, the porridge is just yeah. right. So uh, yeah. no, I appreciate that. Okay. Well, I think that's a great. Uh, place. I also hope we make a bunch of money. I'm, oh. I'm not about the money. Please don't think of me as some saint. Uh, the Goldilocks <laughs> answer. <laughs> like, no, no. I, we're I here to that. run a business. Business of games. <laughs> business of games. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And obviously, with your your track record of you know selling gaming companies, I obviously that kind of goes without saying that there is a monetary component to it, and obviously investors and and token holders. Um, you know, should be excited by by those prospects. Um, okay, right. and the final question that I ask all of our guests, uh, this is new for 2024, but uh, what three games okay. are you playing or are most excited by at the moment? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, well, uh, I, <laughs> I play Fortnite weekly with my brother, sister, uh, and their kids um, and my wife. So we, we play a lot of Fortnite. Just amazing what they, they you know, what a fun family-friendly game. Uh, so... Maybe it's unfair because my nephews are like six and seven, so they're playing on the Switch, and I've got my gaming computer, and I'm just like in parties with them, just you know, knocking off six year olds. Uh, I, I should get I should get my son to play you. So my my son is ten, and he is I am proud dad here, but like he yeah. uh, he is objectively a very very good uh, uh, video game player in general, but but Fortnite in particular. That's and the one. He, that's uh, he straight up he straight up wins games like every four games or so he he wins. Number one, yeah, that's, I, I'm uh, okay. shocked. That's, that's I told impressive. him. I, I've I've told him. I'm sorry to take over your your question here, but uh, I've told him. I said I would like to retire on your esports earnings, please. Uh, I'm I'm done <laughs> supporting you. In. It's your turn now. It's your turn. He's that's ten. Right. Yeah, he's ten. So, anyways, oh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I, I love Fortnite. No, too. no, that's I uh, look, suck at it. But uh, my my son is so good. Um, are you? I mean, have you got him into the Red Bull training camp? For, for esports, I think there's not yet. And, he, and here's the crazy thing: he only just started playing uh, like two months ago. So and he, <laughs> played, he and he plays on his Switch. So he's he's uh, oh, he's, un, he's awesome. underpowered compared to what he could be doing. So maybe That's I need right. to get him that big rig and the 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 the, hey, the gaming setup. A, it's like um, uh, Rocky, right? Uh, you know, Drago had all that cool equipment, but Rocky was chasing chickens, right? So your, your right. son is essentially chasing chickens that's, right now. That's and right, it's going to, yeah. you know, it's going to serve him well uh, in life. Okay. Anyway, right. sorry to take over your question. But, uh, so <laughs> Fortnite, great. Uh, two more. Uh, Fortnite, uh, I beat Baldur's Gate 3, uh, as oh, many people did. I 100% that was of our listeners have mentioned Baldur's Gate 3. It was, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and so my son was being born the next month after release. So I had to play the entire game uh, before he was born because I knew I would have no time. And so I, we, we got that in. Uh, he's five months old now. He doesn't play Fortnite yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to what he does. Uh, you're never too young to start. That's right. Uh, Star Trek Resurgence, what I mentioned, that's a great game. I enjoyed that one. Um, but there was an indie game called Nobody Saves the World out of a, a small studio in Toronto, Canada. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was it's it more of the type of games that we want to do. Um, I have no affiliation with those guys, although they're looking for a publisher. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a good game. Nobody saves the world. It was fun. It was a fun little co-op game. Fantastic! I think you gave us a bonus one there. I think that was four. So thank you very much for that. That's <laughs> your, the Baker's welcome. dozen, the Baker's <laughs> dozen, Baker's trio of, uh, of of games for the for the Nomic Gaming Podcast. Okay, well, this is a fantastic place to end uh, on a on a on a fun note here. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. It was an uh, absolute pleasure. pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay, cheers. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. We'll be back next week with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web three. Until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send me questions, guest recommendations, and comments. My email is nico at novic.co. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.